Hello everyone, it's me, Simon, Science Communicator Guy. I haven't done a podcast in a while, life's been pretty insanely busy, various things, lots of COVID lockdowns, but not for me, it doesn't work. I'm on my home again from self-employment. So it's a bit tricky. Um, I want to talk a little bit about me and my thought processes. I got asked tonight by a colleague, she's 17, um, Sorry, they are 17, more importantly. Um, why, how do I know so much? And apart from the ego stroke, we'll put that aside. I actually really don't know that much. Um, I'm something, and I know the full quote is, so I'm a jack of all trades, master of none. Now, the full quote of that is, a jack of all trades and a master of none is better than someone who's got their head up their ass and knows only one very specific thing. But science tends to work like that. To be an expert in a deeply complex knowledge base, you need to very much narrow your scope. And while I have this sort of expansive surface level interaction of things where I can kind of investigate a few things here and there, I'm not an expert in in much. I'm a geologist and you could consider me an expert in geology. Um, And I'm a biologist and an environmental scientist, so you could consider me an expert in that. However, this got me thinking. Um, there's a there's a young kid that I'm my, one of my old friends has a small has a, has a young boy, and he is curious about everything, and he's nuts about dinosaurs. He he's nuts about everything human body. He's always asking questions like he'll just ask his mum how do legs work just out of the blue, which is fantastic. I love that. For me, I was always a very curious kid one of my earliest half memories and when I say half memory like I can kind of remember it but at the same time a lot of the memories of my mum telling me this and I kind of slot the narrative together um, I don't know if my memories are weird as a potentially neurodiverse person I don't know if I do things a bit strange or whatever and I'm rambling already but I'm sorry about that the and I would find something of interest in the garden when I was this kid five or six and I would come rushing inside to show mum because I was so excited. I, 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 mum, 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 I, I would get so excited, I would not be able to form the words properly. And I would get, I would choke up and I would, I'd be, it'd be so meaningful to me, I'd be overwhelmed. And I can experience that today as an adult. I want to tell you a little story and this story always makes me cry every single time and I hope you're okay with listening to a grown man cry on the podcast so we all remember the late Dr. Stephen Hawking and his computerized voice because of the motor neuron disease he lost his voice at a much younger age than he died at he had a friend in the United States he was a computer scientist and he was this guy was like the, the grandfather of voice technologies he kind of started it he built it he built the first one and he built one for Dr. Hawking. The problem was he was dying of cancer. And he, when he finished it, he finished the thing, he finished the, the voice synthesizer, he sent it to his friend, he died the next day. He never got a chance to listen to his, his friend use his final product. And over the years, Dr. Hawking was asked, do you want a new voice? 
do you want a better one? There's better technologies now. Do you want a more authentic sounding one, a more natural sounding one? And he said, no, because this one was my friend's. And I find that a deeply meaningful thing to say. I find a beauty in that. And it's very moving to me. I, I choke up. It's not as bad as it has been. I, I've told this story a few times lately to, to a few people, and uh, this is a kind of a very muted response just because I've been saying it. But it's beautiful. It's very moving. Right? I cry during dog movies. I just do. And how does this relate to science? How does this interact with me in the science community? Actually, that's not a good point. Let's go back a bit. So, I find other things particularly moving as well, like talking about my childhood and various things in it, and my journeys and stuff like that. I might, um, there's a scene in the movie um, where I think it's the man in the eye mask is Leonardo DiCaprio and Gerard Depardieu and a few other people. <coughs> At the end of the film, they've rescued the guy in the mask, sort of, they're trying to escape. And the guys have got them cornered and they've got the guns pointed at them. And the false king is there and they say, we charge them in that suicide. These boys with guns have been raised on tales of uh, valor. If we charge them, they will shoot, but they may shoot, but they'll miss or they won't shoot at all. So they charge the guns. And the king, the bad, the bad king tells them to fire. They don't. They're so inspired by this and here it is again I can barely talk that that thing that I find immensely meaningful and they say such valour and such heroism and eventually they fire but they all pull their shots and all but one survive and D'Artagnan is killed uh, Gerard Deppard is killed no, Gerard anyway I got the actor wrong that doesn't matter um I've always found that a very meaningful moment because it's courageous. And I get very overwhelmed by this. The emotions that I experience just rise out of me like an iceberg plopping on the surface. And I can choke up, I can't talk, I can't communicate. I just need the, the, the emotions so strong. But this is a very flittering thing for me, it doesn't happen very often to be very connected to things that I find extremely meaningful and moving or beautiful. And I've, a little while ago, identified that for me, I mean, I, I always thought that I was a rationalist and I, that what was important to me was rationality and logic and non-emotional stuff, just being terrified of my own emotions. But I realized that what means a lot to me is an appreciation of beauty uh, those philosophically minded and minus why call it what can't can't cause the sublime. Um, and I find the natural world beautiful and sublime. I find it meaningful and moving. And the point that I'm kind of trying to make is that when we, we interact with 
something or sized it in some way. The way that what I find beautiful and stirring and moving to the point where I go into an apoplexy of emotion and start tears bubbling my eyes and I can't call them because it's so powerful. So that might not happen to someone else. That that might have someone someone else might have an extremely different reaction. They might really understand why that was so moving to me at all. And the things that lead us to find these things moving and things that drive us. You mean you're born, you'll start, this is the nature versus nurture debate, which I think has been bugged for about 200 years. Anyway, the, you start off with a, with a genetic template, that's what starts you, and over time you get experiences and you get joys and terrors and scars and, mem and memories and all of the negativity of, of, of learning to be alive and all the pain that comes with it. And your experience tempers what you're born with, your template, and you, you start a path of ex emotional experiences as you grow into a fully-fledged emotional um, human being. So no two people see the thing, anything exactly the same way. Cultural norms are what bring us together in a lot of ways. So genetics plays a, plays a little bit. There's probably more to understand, a lot more to understand here um, about ourselves and how our genetic lineages play into our cultural states and our emotional states and how we approach things. Um, but there's nothing for... Um, and yet, you know, I'm not an expert in that. I could be wrong, but I haven't seen anything. I don't really read a lot. I haven't seen anything that suggests that that might be the case. Anyway, I'm rambling again. The, so we, we all we have this in, we have to start off with our emotions, we start off with our blank slate. We get pain, we get trauma, we get joys, we get happiness, we get all our full full spectrum of emotions. Um, and it wildly differs the path we go along, but um, and I'll I'll put this aside and talk about something else in a second. But culture sort of binds those things together. So what you find really interesting and moving or cool and exciting is what a lot of other people might find cool and exciting. And that's how you create cultural cliques, cliche or cliches. That's how you create, that's how it could, like, you know, you get movements of people. Some people like fashion, some people like movies, some people like cars. And you go where your interest lies. You follow the dopamine. Not just ADHD people that do that. You follow what you enjoy. But it all then changes this pattern. I, this is a really weird statement to make, I don't necessarily like zombie movies. And it's not for the reason that anyone thinks. It's not that I don't like horror. I'm not a big fan of horror. Um, I don't necessarily enjoy it, but I will watch it. It's often I don't enjoy it. In zombie narratives, I don't like it because there can be no... There can be no heroism. In, say, your classics like Day of the Dead, um, 28 Days Later, something I don't, I don't, I don't know how So there might be a group of people trying to survive. If for one person to say they're in a predicament and one person gives their life to slow down the ravening horde so that others may escape, that person simply comes back and adds to the ravening horde. 
this kind of temper, any heroism, or any sacrifice is meaningless. So I don't enjoy it for that reason. I like my stories to have a heroic narrative. I like the hero's journey. So the hero's journey is a way of understanding classical certain narratives. Um, it's, that's what the book is called, The Hero's Journey, and it's a very interesting philosophical philosophy. And there's very certain steps to a classical story, and a heroic narrative. There's, trans there's, a, there's a struggle, there's transformation, there's the death of the old self, and then the emergence of the new self, this new era. And I, like, I enjoy heroic narratives to have. Um, I've totally forgotten where I was going with it. That's it. Rusty at this. I haven't done a podcast in ages, and now I'm talking about myself rather than something really deeply scientific. I started off with expertise, and now I've meandered, then meandered into emotions and meaningful and me getting crying, and now I'm talking about my dislike of zombies. So I am clearly not very good at this at the moment. Now, we'll go back to expertise and what can I can talk about authority. Actually, that's the point I was trying to make. I have now moved across several different thought processes, and I am an expert in very few of these, but I'm talking about myself. So I can have a degree of authority, but I'm struggling a lot to do this podcast because it's not clinical facts, information. I'm talking about me, my emotions, how I relate to things and stuff like that, and that makes it a lot harder. I don't feel like I'm an expert about me. I really should be. No one else is a bloody expert about me. I'm the only one who's an expert about me. A lot of people see me. They see what I what I talk about when I do my science, my psychom stuff. They see what I uh, what I know, how what I can bring to a conversation, how easily I can go down tangential rabbit holes that have nothing to do with the conversation, and they think I know. They think I know everything. I'm really struggling not to describe myself as being puffed up like a big but I don't, I don't know everything. What I do know is a lot of little things that surround stuff. There's not many things, there's not many subjects that I can't have a degree of something to talk about. So if you want to talk about modern language use, like modern vernacular, so people say, oh man, this is lit. I don't really know what that means. I have a good guess, I think I'm right. to say invite someone to pull up means to meet them, to catch up, to go and see them. I didn't, I didn't even know what, didn't even know that. If someone would ask me that question, I would start, I would go, well, that's really interesting, but that makes sense according to things like linguistic drift. And I would start talking abstractly about how language changes over time and how the English language is not really a language, it's just, you know, it's just a bunch of it's really just half three different languages in a trench coat that stand behind quarters and beat up other languages and steal their verbs. English is terrible. But I would go down this rabbit hole talking about something else. So does that make me not an authoritative voice? Because I've just moved the conversation. In a debate, in a deba debating scenario, that's absolutely correct. I would be terrible because I can't. St I don't stay on topic. But in 
interest, science commission standpoint, that moving down the rabbit hole and going a different direction is perfectly legitimate in just conversation or in learning and education. And my podcasts are all over the bloody place. It's called Travel Thoughts. And I just wax lyrical for a little while because it's, it's, it's I, I get that. I'm not an this. I'm probably autistic. Um, I haven't had myself tested yet, though I've got a mail in, um, I'm in the queue for a referral to go and get tested. So it might be um, neurodivergent. But otherwise, I've definitely got something called social anxiety disorder. And I feel very judged when I do a lot of content. So the reason why this kind of format works for me is because it's off the cuff. I have no preparation. I just do it. And that just doing it is good. It works for me. And it may not produce something that's really polished and really listenable. But I enjoy talking about things. And I enjoy reaching out to people. Lack of preparation works in my favor. And ultimately, the point I'm trying to make with this is the larger theme behind all this is don't ever really judge anyone by what they're saying. You might think people are really clever, you might think people are really stupid, but they're not. Everyone kind of sits in a middle ground. What really changes things is the ability to shift your perspective. Can you listen to someone talk about something and be swayed by an argument and adopt that position as your own? If you had no position to start with and if the person's opinion aligns with your moral values, you will adopt that position because you didn't have one to start with and your brain loves a narrative, your brain loves a good story. If you had an opposing viewpoint, So let's say, you know, American conservatism versus liberalism. Crazy levels of entrenched entrenched ideology. If you you have an opinion about something and I say something opposed to that, and even if I have tremendous amounts of evidence, you will not believe me. It's not possible for you to believe me. You can't. You are locked in. Because you have a fixed position. And the idea, what the idea behind this is having something called a core belief. If, let's take COVID for example, if thinking that the medical establishment is just out to get you, to microchip you, to, to experiment on you, and that vaccinations are merely a tool to, to, for the government to have power over you, that's dumb. But if that's part of your core identity, no matter how many facts I bring to you, Never, ever, 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 ever gonna change your mind. The crazy part is, if I bring an emotion to you, so if I tell, like that story I told, the stories I told before that had great meaning to me, if I tell you a story that has great meaning to you and I wrap it, like giving a pill to a dog wrapped in hair, I could have phrased that better so it didn't sound like the dog was wrapped in hair, but you get my point. If I wrap this, you know, problematic truth, inconvenient truth, that's what I was looking for with the name of the film. Thumps bother me. Um, if you wrap your little horrible truth in hair, in this instance, an, an emotional story, a meaningful story, the person is more likely to absorb that. 
this is the, the catch-22, that expertise has immense value. And that's why I started talking, I'm not necessarily an expert, I just talk about things. Expertise is important and it has value. But it is logical, usually, it should, it's logical but rational, usually. And if you hold a point counter to that expertise, you are going to not, you won't accept it. You'll think it's bullshit. You'll think it's designed to hurt you. You'll take it as victimize you. Not always, but this is what's tending to happen in our society at the moment. People hold these vastly diametrically opposed views to things simply because we're trained to be contrarian. And uh, like not every day brings a story of you know shock radio host who came out against COVID and against vaccines saying it was all bullshit, refuses to wear a mask, and dies of COVID-19. And so how many every day is that happening at the moment? Excuse me. So, expertise is derided. Expertise is challenged because it brought you in this logical, rational way and everyone thinks that's meaningless. But if you appeal to emotions, if I wrap my stories, if I say, let's say my expertise is not an expert in X, Y, I'm only an expert in a few different things, but if I wrap the things that I'm not an expert in, in emotional, meaningful story, if I frame them in a way that's designed to provoke an emotional response, I can convince people easier that what I'm saying is real and true, and I can manipulate people into thinking what's not real and not true is actually true, using this Talk about one thing and come to a different place. That's me. And so you, you, we live in a society where you really have to pick and choose who you believe and who you listen to. And you need to find a place where you trust certain experts. Because, like, let's the most potent example of this in the world at the moment, Dr. Fauci in the US. Like the shit that he, um, he went through with Trump. Oh dear God, the man is an incredibly well-credentialed scientist and doctor and medical researcher and communicator and all of these things. And he's not trying to manipulate people. He, everything he says was based off the best evidence. And yeah, he said some things that never changed because the evidence changed. The theories changed and that's good science. That's how it should work. But the man got death threats. He had to pull his kids out of school because they were getting abused. Like, it's just, it was not cool what happened, but that's the norm now. If your truth, if your expertise is inconvenient to people, they're gonna refuse it and you're gonna be challenged. So me, with my science communication and my well-meaning stories and little factoids about here and there that don't really, well, it's fucked. And sometimes it turns to people's minds, but not really. Obviously, it's just interesting. But when, essentially what I'm boiling down to say is that I, I, I need to start leveling my expertise in what I can do towards climate change and towards really 
that's just me. I'm just what I'm thinking about. That's what I'm trying to start doing. And it's hard. Like, I did a, a video for my science, one of my science communication pages the other day because I was doing gardening. And so I just knocked the video together because I found some fungus and I was talking about fungus for a few minutes. And it's cool and I find it meaningful. And the story was I found some fungus in the dirt and it was wrapped around the roots of some gra older grass that had been in a garden bed for about 20 years and they were really well established. Um, and I talked about fungal associations and nitrogen fixing from the, um, nitrogen, getting nitrogen out of the atmosphere into the plants because most plants can't do it. And so you need fungus that does it for the soil. And I approached on this topic called the wood white web. A forest, when it's connected by these fungal associations, and most of them are, you know, unless it's been totally screwed up by humans and had to regrow, it's probably not there. I think a long time to establish this. The trees are connected, you know, on a on a very clinical way of saying that there are symbiotic fungal associations that between the trees that allow for the trees to have better survival outcomes in an ecological setting. But the poetic way of describing that is the trees are connected, they live together, they are a community. If one tree is under attack by insects or by disease or the weather's changing or something, the other trees will sacrifice resources. The fungus will then transport that across the forest to the trees that are struggling. If there is a tree that has been killed, like it, it's been hit by lightning or something like that, and half of it has been sheared off, and it's dead. Ostensibly, it's just dead. It's waiting. It's just waiting to be to die. The, f the, 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 the resources from that tree, nutrients will start to get pulled out and given to the rest of the trees who have been it's not a fast process, it's a very slow process. And these molded slimes extend for hundreds and hundreds of kilometers. And they are, it is amazing. It's as complex, the, the, the arrangement of these different funguses and the lattices of network of channels and things they create is as complicated, if not more so, than the human brain. These creatures without brains keep a forest alive through the transfer of nutrients. And symbiotic, they get something for it, the tree gets something for it. Beautiful. It's not enough of a reason to stop someone cutting those trees down for pasture or for wood resources. And that's bullshit. <laughs> Frankly, that's bullshit. We're never going to change someone's mind like that. The person who needs to make money to survive, So the IPCC came out with a climate change report. I guess this is the kind of point that I've been pandering towards. It's terrifying. I've read it. I wish I hadn't. Ignorance is bliss in this scenario because the world is headed towards really catastrophic climate shift. We are terraforming the planet to not support our species, or really any other, most of the rest of the species on the planet. And that's sad. For all of the animals that have been killed by us, it's been mass die-offs of species after species after species at the moment in the world, everywhere. The extinction rate is just staggeringly high, getting higher every year. In Australia, I'm in southeast Queensland, and 
this winter has been dry as hell. It is, it is bone dry. I mean, have you been sunny yet? This place is going to burn to the ground. Gulf Stream is slowing down. I don't even need that, that. That's bad. That's the worst. That's, that's horrifying. Just thought I'd tell you. The IPCC's sixth report has unequivocally stated humans are making climate change worse. They have, it is unequivocally stated. Will anything change? ideological entrenchment, people who firm belief, core belief that climate change isn't real or it's not their problem or it's a natural cycle or any of the other stupid ass arguments here. Yeah, that's a part of it. It's a vested interest to make money off the destruction of the world. Yeah. There's a satire website in Australia uh, on social media, number two, I think it was number two to add It's a satire newspaper. They published an article that was a headline, a picture of a headline. Um, Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison says, we don't have to do anything about climate change because all my government will be dead by the time it happens. <laughs> Which is totally on point. That's totally accurate. So, we need to do something about it. The world needs to do a complete 180. The problem is, if we wanted to try and divest the world of using fossil fuels, half the world doesn't have the right technology to do it. Kind of despair territory for it, which I guess is why I'm talking about expertise. I'm talking about knowledge and meaningful meaning making and communication and things like that because out, outside of extreme radical action, that's all we've got is convincing people and talking to people that things need to be done. And that's scary all on its own because no one wants to. Governments don't want to act because they might lose votes or money. God forbid. The um, private sector doesn't want to act for the same reason. People are usually, we're in a society where literally people are so busy just earning a living that, or surviving on, when in Australia it's not terrible because but it's getting where it's getting nowhere, and it is for some people. So now I've just sort of talked myself into depression. But the world is a beautiful place. It is, and people are have the capacity to be amazing. I think the thing that I'm charging you with, with my little talk, because I'm home now, so I should wrap up, is make a loud noise. Make a racket. Talk to people. Show them this this IPCC sixth report, and you can get it online, just Google that term, and show them the evidence that, that climate change is, is, is terrible, humans are causing it, and it's getting worse, and that we have lost the chance to stop it from happening. And at the moment, we can probably, lim if we do everything right now, we could probably limit it to 1.5 degrees on average. And that's an average. Some places will get much, much, much hotter than that, like Australia will burn to the ground. Um, if we do nothing in the next couple of years, we'll, we'll lock in two degrees, and then we'll go to three degrees, and four degrees, at five degrees, it's five and six degrees, we have, congratulations, we have made two thirds of the planet uninhabitable for humans. 
and then the refugee wars begin. So talk to people, things need to happen, put pressure on your government, put pressure on your elected officials, boycott businesses, because as much as we've all been fed the idea that it's our, we're ideal, like the ideology that we're all individually responsible for the pollution and, and the emissions that go into the world. And yeah, we can have an effect, but like a hundred companies contribute half of global emissions. If we turned, and if, even if, if we turned every single power station on the planet to renewables, even if we turned every car to electric, which is impossible because there's not enough lithium in the fucking crust of the earth to make enough batteries, we still have developing nations burning forests as fast as they can to try desperately to feed and monetize their populations because of the capitalist world we live in and the history, legacy of downright evil foreign policy that's existed for the last, you know, couple hundred years. So get angry about it, get sad about it because it's sad. Listen to the experts. If anything that I am even saying, even if anything that I do and say convinces of anyone of anything, it's listen to experts about this. I'm not, a, I have, I have a good grasp of climate change and I've got a good grasp of the geological aspects of it. And I have a good grasp of the historical changes, but I'm not a meteorologist and I'm not an atmospheric physicist. Find your experts, listen to them. And anyone who says that climate change isn't happening is trying to sell you something. Change your parents' mind, change your friend's mind. If you can convince that, like if Australia, say for the next federal election, if the Green Party won in a, like got, got a landslide worth of votes, this is never gonna happen. Murdoch papers, blah, 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 blah. And the Labor Party is, if we excised New South Wales, they're only barely left of center. Right, the New South Wales portion of Labor is like more far right than the Liberal Party. If you can get three people to change their vote so that they vote progressive and environmental policies, if you're in a electorate where your local member for the Labor Party or the Green or the Labor Party is an environmentalist, they want to do things, they want to force, they want to force the government's action on climate change, vote for them. If they're not, if they're a pro-business like person who doesn't care about the environment, vote for the Greens. Because a vote for the Greens forces the Labor Party to do something. And that's a grossly simplistic way of explaining it. And now we're in politics anyway. If everyone changes one person's mind, and if those people then use their vote to try to change things, to use their consuming consumer buying power to try to change things, maybe in Australia we can have a different we can make a difference. We have a tiny population. So we wouldn't have a meaningful effect on the world if we well, hold the whole country boycotted certain products. Like we didn't sell any Coca-Cola was forced to abandon this place because no one bought Coke bottles anymore. Never going to happen. But change someone's mind. Be the expert. Go and, go and learn about it. Go online and have a read about climate change. Read the IPC 6th um, report. And of course, I'm on social media. Um, you can find me at four, like Facebook pages. Um, I actually love real science and for every human, 
Um, I'm actually thinking of starting a TikTok account, which is hilarious, but I might be there as well. Ask questions, change someone's mind. As individuals and as people, we have limited avenues outside of revolutionary warfare that we can do to, to force change. And it's difficult. Protest in Australia with tall poppy syndrome and our police. Man, I had a funny joke today. English, English language is terrible. That's all. Like, how are you supposed to learn how to spell English? Like, knowledge has a, has one silent K. The knight's knife has two silent Ks, and the Australian police department, Australian police forces, have three silent Ks. <laughs> Not entirely true, but it's funny. So, yeah, I've meandered off now, but. It's 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 my it's my sense of impending doom and impending hopelessness that wants me to keep talking and and waxing lyrical about how we need to change things and and do differently. But when the the, the odds are against us, the odds are against us changing anything. The corp the the businesses have too much power. The politicians have too many vested interests. But. All we can do is do what we can control, and that's just change one other person's mind, change one person's vote to a more environmentally sustainable or prog socially progressive vote. Get it in here. Thank you for listening to my ramblings. This was not probably end up either going to be one of my better or one of my worst podcasts, simply because I wasn't really prepared going into it, and I meandered quite a lot. But I tried to make it authentic, talking about myself, and I hope someone gets something out of that. And I really need to move to a more highly organized, more polished production style circumstance. And I really wish I had less sort of fear of judgment about doing it. So thank you to anyone listening to this podcast. I hope you enjoy it. I hope it's not too bad and too wandering. And um, thank you for listening. As always, love you all. See you later.